If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. You just found the most downloaded fitness, health, and entertainment podcast in history. This is Mind Pump. Today's episode, we had one of the world's best sports athletic trainers ever. Brian Kula, by the way, he coaches and helps Christian McCaffrey. This is uh, one of the best athletes in the NFL right now. Anyway, Brian Kula teaches us today the secrets of developing speed, power, and strength. And actually in this episode, no joke, he blew our minds. This happens rarely when we have a trainer come on and we feel like we might disagree, but at the end, we learn something. Brian taught us a lot in this episode. Look, if you're a trainer or coach and you want to teach people how to build speed and power, you will not want to miss this episode. If you're a regular person who wants to get lean, build muscle, and burn body fat, you also will not want to miss this episode. This is one of the smartest people we've ever talked to in the space. By the way, this episode is brought to you by mphormones.com. The doctors and experts at mphormones.com can help balance your hormones, give you testosterone if you need it. They also work with peptides, peptides like BPC-157 or thymosin beta or others, peptides that boost growth hormone or speed up recovery or help with fat loss. You know, semaglutide, that one that we're hearing about all over the place, they have that as well. Anyway, if you're interested and you want to talk to an expert, go to mphormones.com. We also have a sale on some workout programs this month. We have the new to weightlifting bundle. It's a bundle of workout programs. We have another bundle called the body transformation bundle. We have the New Year Extreme Intensity Bundle and the Body Transformation Bundle 2.0. All of these are $300 to $350 off. If you're interested, go to mapsjanuary.com. Now, trainers and coaches, pay attention real quick. This is the first time in history Mind Pump has offered a course specifically for trainers and coaches designed to help you build your business and be more successful. We are going to put all those other courses out of business because we've put together the best course you can find anywhere for the lowest price. And because it's a launch, check this out. Here's what you get for free for signing up. Maps Prime, Maps Prime Pro. You get all 11 Maps mods included, all 13 Maps guides included. You get $200 off, and you also get to belong to a private group on Facebook only for Mind Pump trainers and coaches so we can all work together and win this war on poor health. Anyway, if you're interested, go check it out. Go to mindpumpfitnesscoaching.com. All right, here comes the show. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for coming on. So uh, something that tripped me out quite a bit. Um, now, I know Adam and Justin have played sports. Justin at the college level. Um, I never really played traditional sports, but I always assumed that at the highest level, the trainers that trained the, the players just knew the most cutting-edge exercises and techniques and programming. And when we started the, the podcast, I was shocked when we'd meet some of these trainers and they would do things that I wouldn't even allow my trainers in local big box gyms to do. It was just blew me away. And I realized that a lot of these athletes were so gifted and they'd been training for so long that uh, as long as you didn't in mess them up. In spite of their training. Yeah, it was in spite of their training. Then we met some other trainers where it, they just blew my mind. You seem to be one of them. You seem to train people different and produce incredible results. What's the difference between how you apply or approach training your athletes versus, let's say, how other athletes try to improve, let's say, speed, power, and performance? Sure. 
you know, I think, uh, you know, it, there, there's such a spectrum, right, when it comes to training. And I think, um, you know, where you fall on the spectrum kind of defines you as a, as a trainer. And I think for us, it's a speed development, speed-based programming type of an approach. Uh, I come from a, with a long background in track and field. And so the speed development component was really, you know, a piece that we thought could move the needle for athletes, no matter what sport they were in, what, what stage of development they were in, they all needed speed. And as you've seen, like even at the highest level in soccer and football and lacrosse and all these sports, speed defines kind of the, the best people on the field. And so, again, my long history that, uh, you know, like I've said before, I, I didn't really set out to, to have this unique training system. I just always felt like it was the proper way to go about, you know, helping an athlete, starting with the speed based, doing things in and around that that support speed. And that doesn't mean that we do things completely different than other trainers. A lot of it is just how it's structured, how we put it together, what we prioritize, I think is really probably the, you know, maybe the different differentiator. Um, and then obviously when you're working with a professional athlete, it's just even a little bit different from there. You can't just do the same things you do with a developing young athlete. So before we got on the podcast, you were we were talking a little bit off air, and you mentioned like with your parent, your dad was also a coach, and you guys were doing high school. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your upbringing and, sure. and like how you grew up in coaching and training, and how you sure. got to where you're at. That's right. Yeah, it's the family business. Um, you know, a lot of guys have you know get passed down a, a business, and that's kind of what I did. My grandfather was a state championship coach. My my father was a state championship coach. Um, I kind of grew up in a gym. You know, I was hand cleaning when I was probably eight years old wow. with PVC pipe and. Uh, just kind of got to be around that. I really took to my dad. I was the oldest, so I was always hanging around my dad and, you know, listening to him talk about, you know, the Russian methods and the Eastern European block. Mm -hmm. And I grew up around, you know, Husker Power and, you know, some of these these programs, Bigger, Faster, Stronger, NSCA. I was familiar with that stuff from a really young age. And then I just had this trajectory where I was going to go be a coach teacher following my dad's footsteps. So I'm not sure I had another choice to do, you know, other than <laughs> what I did. Um but definitely had a really good base and foundation of knowledge, you know, even going into like college when I started learning, you know, the science of, of what, what I was going to be doing. Can what, you remember yeah. all the way back then, like the stuff that your dad was doing and stuff that was different than everybody else? I mean, as a kid, could you? Did you doing compound lifts and things like that, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nobody else was? Yeah. yeah, he was doing things that, I mean, back then it was kind of a big, whether it was like tilted towards bodybuilding or kind of a uh, powerlifting type of an approach. Mm -hmm. And we did the, a level of powerlifting. He ran a powerlifting club and, you know, things like that, which... You know, strength moves the needles for athletes in, in all regards, obviously. Uh, but he was already into Olympic lifting and things like that. And, and um, you know, he because he was also a track and field guy, he was a, a four event uh, state champion um, in high schools, you know, track and field. He also played football. But because of that background, you know, naturally he tilted towards some speed development kind of stuff. And so moving, moving the bar fast and kind of the strength speed stuff. Now you're starting to see it's like it's not cutting edge necessarily. It's been around for centuries. Yeah. Um, but he was really into that stuff. So it influenced me greatly. What? what so you, you said strength moves the needle. Um, we understand that, right? If yep. you get stronger, you tend to get better at most physical pursuits. That's right. But speed is very interesting. What are the components that contribute to speed? And then how do you train for those? Because... You know, I, I lift, I can be pretty strong. I can lift sure. more than the average guy, but I would not classify myself as fast. Right? I don't have speed. <laughs> and then there's other guys that wouldn't lift half as much as I do, but they would just leave me in their dust. Like, what is it that makes speed different? How do you yeah. train for that? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a really speed is a, it's a neural activity, right? It's a central nervous system and, and how that, how that fires. And so you have to, 
really it's, it's like anything in training. If you have a adaptation uh, to a stimulus, so it's what kind of stimulus are you presenting? And so when we, when we do speed stuff, we do stuff fast, we run fast, we jump fast. Uh, we try to create great stretch reflex and things that are components of speed. When you see somebody who's fast, they all have common traits. You know, they get on and off the ground quickly. They move fast. Uh, they hit good positions, which is another component for us with the mechanics piece that we dive deep into. And that's partly because of my years of experience of developing a, a track and field sprinter, there's a level of efficiency that goes into that as well. And so how do you teach that? I mean, it's easy to have somebody do squats and they get a little faster because they're stronger. Uh, but can you actually get in there and dive into the details of how their foot's hitting the ground, the force application, the proper recovery mechanics, you know, all the, all the things that would go into moving the needle a little bit farther than just getting stronger. Okay. You, what, what, what about, um, fatigue because yeah, I remember just go there. Okay. Cause I remember <laughs> as a trainer, um, when we first learned how to do what would be considered plyo exercises, mm -hmm. I mean, yep. this is way back. I'm talking yep. like late nineties, early two thousands. Sure. So we'd have people jump on boxes and benches, but as trainers, we had no idea what plyometrics were. So we would just have people do it till they got tired. And I remember I met a trainer who had a little bit of an Olympic lifting background. And he told me if, if you're tired, you're not moving fast. You're not training explosivity anymore. You're just making them tired by doing something that they could, I mean, in other words, you could do anything and just make them tired. They have to do this fast. Fatigue is the enemy. And it blew my mind. And I've heard you talk about this as well. Right. Explain fatigue. Cause right now someone listening to you is like, Oh, move fast. Cool. I'm going to go do my curls super fast. Till I get tired. I'm going to do my bench press super fast. till I get tired. That's not, that's not exactly right. No. And you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it is uh, fatigue is kind of the enemy, right? We don't, we don't want to try to, uh, when we're training, obviously there's going to be a, a neural system fatigue at the end of a workout, but during the workout intra workout, we don't necessarily want, you know, uh, to hit a level of fatigue because then we're not hitting that 98, 99, hundred percentile of movement, which is what we want to, to develop the appropriate system for speed. Okay. So, uh, rest and recovery and how it's structured and put together becomes supreme. You know, it's, it's all the exercises and everything that you'd want to do with an athlete is out there, but how you put it together and how much of it that you do is, is critical. So when do you stop a set? So let's say somebody's doing, um, a squat. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it could be any, any exercise, but let's say it's a squat and you're trying to train power and speed within that squat. Mm -hmm. So you're watching them. You said fatigue is the enemy. In other words, uh, just to paraphrase, if they start to get tired and move slow, it's now we're not doing what we're trying to do. When do you stop the set? Like, what are you looking for? Like, cause someone right now might be like, okay, like, how do I know when to stop at what rep? Sure. When does that, when do I, when do I stop the set? Yeah, I think some of that is pre-programmed. I mean, it's, okay. it, it comes in through how am I, how am I putting together their sets and their reps and their rest intervals in that, in that exercise? Um, you know, for us, we live in the one to three rep range for, for power. Mm. We live in the, you know, three to seven rep range for strength. Mm. We rarely get into the reps eight, nine, 10 and, and above, because that's where you're going to see real fatigue. Mm. And then we don't want to get good at moving slow. We're not that interested in hypertrophy. If we get some level of, you know, the, the, the hypertrophy because of strength, we're okay with that. That's good, dense muscle fiber, but we're not in for the big pump. We're not in yeah. for, you know, and, and obviously, I mean, even myself, you know, we all lift for maybe a different reason now just to stay fit and look good. Uh, but for an athlete, it's much more important, you know, are, are they moving fast? Are they fully recovered? Um, so I, to answer your question as a coach's eye, if I see that there's fatigue happening in a workout, we're going to cut it off right there. Wow. Charlie Francis, you know, one of the old famous track coaches used to say, if there was a PR done in practice, you were done with that session immediately. 
immediately. Oh, nothing, wow. Nothing good could come after you've hit like the highest level that you've ever hit. Well, let's pause on that for That's a second. Sure. That, just, yeah. blew my, that sure. just completely blew my That's mind. That's a great point. Yeah. So, uh, you know, for the trainers and coaches listening right now, like, in other words, you hit a PR, you've just done the best you've ever done. Anything beyond that, unless you could break that PR, which mm -hmm. is probably not going to happen, is just compromising recovery and maybe what you just accomplished. You back. So right. stop. That's so right. even if you're in 15 minutes, hit a PR, you're done. That's right. Wow. wow. That's that, right. That, that yeah. really blows my mind. And it does because, again, I think we all grew up under the mentality that more is better. Yes. Right? I do a little bit more. I work a little harder. You know, it's the plus one factor, right? I do one extra rep every day. Over two years, I've done, you know, 700 extra reps. And in some regards, in some facets, that does that that matters, right? Consistency matters. And doing something consistent uh, in a consistent basis matters. But when it comes to, like, high output, yeah. you can only do that so many times a week. You know, we train some of our top guys, top gals three times a week maximum with a day of recovery in between wow so we don't give now we'll do active recovery we'll do a workout you know on those maybe a tuesday thursday but their monday wednesday friday routines they're we're getting after it you know in regards to you know they might be running a fly 10 meter as fast as they can that that stimulates central nervous system like nothing else on the planet so it's going to take them several 24 to 48 hours to recover before they can do something like that again. Or again, you're either just, you know, not training the proper system or you're setting up for injury. Both things of which we're not interested in. Now, Brian, when I hear you say we're getting after it, here's what I picture or automatically mm -hmm. comes to mind. Mm -hmm. You're done with the workout and you're, you're wasted. <laughs> like, like the typical, like burn calories or bodybuilding workout. Like I fried mm -hmm. my legs, I hit my back, I can't move it anymore. That's not what you mean, though. No. You don't mean we're getting after like that. That's so explain right. that. That's right. Yeah, no, our, I mean, I would say in a in a 90-minute training session, there might be four to five minutes of actual real work getting done because everything else is going to be potentiation, activation, mm -hmm. work up to well, preparation. Yeah. Then, you know, we might hit just two fly tens in a workout might be their actual load volume. Now we're going to throw some plyometrics in there. We're going to do some other things, but a good plyometric set takes less than 10 seconds. You know, so when you add all that time up, um, it's kind of like the old track and field decathlon. You know, it's a two day event, but you actually compete for about five and a half minutes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's, it's a similar concept where, you know, the timing of it and the execution of it is way more important than just being fatigued at the end of the workout. Being, is, not being able to walk out of the weight room is not a good workout in, in our world. Right, right. And, and just to add to that, you said hypertrophy for the sake of hypertrophy is not a good idea. Now, if you're a bodybuilder, of course, that's what you want. Exactly. But if you're an athlete and you gain 10 pounds of muscle, uh, but you don't gain much strength, you just made yourself slower. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. yeah, we got a, you know, you and I got an, a, a Ford F-150 right off the lot, same engine, same body, same everything, but mine's got a truck, you know, a bed full of bricks in it and we go race. Who's going to win? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Right. So it's, it's just, it's mass specific force is what we refer to it as. And that's, you know, what's your body weight to strength ratios. And, you know, for, for every couple pounds of body weight, you have to have exponential strength to overcome that weight, to move the same speed. Right. So we're going to try to make you strong and fast and develop the nervous system without putting extra pounds on i mean even even christian you know as an nfl running back best in the league this year uh about 206 207 pounds yeah, you yeah. know and we try to, we really try hard to keep him there you know yeah, we don't yeah. want him to be 215 220 okay um, so what does this feel like so if i'm trying to train myself so the way i picture this in the, and I keep, I keep hammering this because it took me a long time ago it took me a long time to understand this mm -hmm. like completely so what this feels like and correct me if i'm wrong what this would feel like in a workout is i'm doing a movement i'm trying to do it explosively and quick. And when I start to find that I can't move it explosively and quick. Now it's just, 
I'm noticing like my sets are slower than they were before. I'm yep. done. That's right. That's right. And, and there's ways to monitor that, right? You can have a coach's eye uh, watching you. You could have a VBT, you know, tracking system that's watching you like a perch or something that's mm-hmm. tracking your bar speed or tracking, you know, we use a lot of timing system and we'll use vertical jump measuring systems so that we know exactly where they're at. Um, you know, I, I, with 30 years experience, I can tell you if you're, if you're done, but there's yeah. younger trainers that might not have that eye yet. So we just use equipment and technology to yeah. tell you, Hey, you're, you're now performing at a 87 to 90% range. You're done. But so looking at bar speed and stuff like yep, that. Absolutely. Wow. How hard is it to get the uh, the clients to adapt or, or adopt the philosophy, right? Because I imagine you have to wrestle sometimes with a guy going, like, I got more. <laughs> yeah. Why are we stopping this was now? Easy. <laughs> Why are we resting this long? No like, doubt. How, how often do you got to wrestle uh, it depends on the level of athlete, but almost daily. I mean, especially, <laughs> especially with the pro athletes, um, you know, and I got a few of them at a really high level. I got a soccer girl in mind, you know, she plays for team Canada and man, she just wants to do something all the time. Oh, and yeah. you know, her rest interval, she, driven. You know, I always tease her that she doesn't know what a real minute is, you know, I want a minute recovery. And it's about 10 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. So yeah, you, we definitely have to reinforce that, but then that's where, you know, you better have the knowledge to be able to back that up with a professional athlete to tell them why we're taking four minutes recovery, right. you know, or why, a kid you know wants to run another fly 10 and it's his fourth rep and he runs slower and he keeps getting slower every rep and then you go i'm going to tell you why you have about two or three good reps in you at that level and then you're only going to be operating at 95 percent, so you're not going to run as fast it only takes a couple of times of that and then they kind of realize and understand yeah Um, Yeah, and then you're just practicing how to move slower exactly and and if that was the case then i'd be i wouldn't want to be in business right i mean it's like hey you want to be really good at running slow (laughs) go to the guy next door (laughs) i mean that's not my gig you know i want to make you as fast as humanly possible move really efficient and explosively so that's going to take this you know this different approach now now how hard you mentioned the clients but how hard has it been to work with coaches in Mm -hmm. terms of um you working with professional athletes they have like a whole system you know that they send them off with but then you're doing things completely different in terms of like the off-season training and have you ever been able to integrate some of your methods in with some other organizations um, yeah, at some level, I mean, it depends. We haven't really even tried that hard to infiltrate like the professional system. I mean, there's a major respect there for what those guys do and have to manage, you know, an NFL team, that guy's managing 53 guys plus a practice squad and everyone's got a different story and injuries. And I can't really speak into that. So, I mean, we, we kind of just trust that they're going to do good by the athletes and then we'll take what we can in the off season. Um, we do do a bunch of cons- consultation with high schools and stuff like that, where we can, you know, kid comes to us for six months. We want to try to make sure they keep that going. Cause again, it is a consistency game, you know, speed, you got about a three to five day window where the central nervous system will start to detrain if it's not stimulated. So that takes a repetitive mm. three to five day stimulation. And if you go into an in season mode and you never sprint, mm-hmm hamstring injuries, mm. neural fatigue, you know, you start to see kind of a D performance or, or, or decrease in performance uh, from not, not hitting that system. You've mentioned the central nervous system. So I'm going to tell a story to kind of illustrate this. And then an example I give, because I think people have a tough time understanding, okay, central nervous system, neural mm-hmm. fatigue versus the muscle fibers yep. themselves, the muscles. So the story, I'll tell you a story happened to me years ago when my oldest who's 18. Now he was maybe a year and a half, two years old. He was at the top of the stairs at my house I was at the very bottom and there's probably, I don't know, 10 stairs in between us. He came around the corner and I could see he was about to take a step and tumble down. And I grabbed, because out of fear, I grabbed the railing and I just pulled myself to the top and grabbed and ripped the railing off the wall, pulled half the muscles in my body. And what had happened, uh, because I, I wouldn't have been able to do that if I tried, but I was so scared 
that I think, you know, as it's explained, the central nervous system will limit the amount of power you have based on what it feels is safe. Yep. And Olympic athletes are a great example. They're able to exert, you know, 97 percent of their total neural power, whereas the average person is, I've, I've read, somewhere around 70 60, yeah. or 60 sure. or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the central nervous system doing there? And, and yeah. why is it that we can be so much stronger when we're scared or we feel like we're in danger? How do you train that? Like, how are the muscles involved with that? What does that look like? I think it's it's it, pictured as like you're taking the chains off it, right? It's there. It's in us. We know that we're not tapping into the capacity of it. And so the way that you train is going to uh, give you some abilities to get into that system more readily available. Mm. So if all you do is jog slowly, you know, and, and you know, I, I not to pass judgment on anybody or anything, but what we see a lot of is like early in the fall football season, we see a lot of hamstrings. We see a lot of cramping and things yeah. like that. And those would be indicators that those athletes probably didn't do enough sprinting or hitting that nervous system, you know, component mm. in the off season. So they come in, they get in a game situation or the, I got to save my son at the top of the stairs moment. And they hit that high level and it freaks out, right? There's just not a, you know, they, they haven't been exposed to that. Okay. So in the training, we feel like you need to have exposure to that. And there's a lot of trainers out there, especially with the high end athlete that are afraid mm. to tap into that because of, Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to get a kid hurt. I mean, I can tell you some of the pros that I've worked with, it's terrifying. You know, they're worth 50, 60 million dollars. Yeah. And, you know, hey, I want you to get on the track. We're going to warm up, potentiate, make sure everything's firing and loose and good to go. And now we're going to let it rip. And that athlete gets injured during that session. That's a big deal. You know, mm -hmm. that's not just playing around in a high school weight room. So, you know, we have confidence in what we're doing, but we also know that the more consistently they're exposed to that system, they can tap into it more. So, you know, you and I don't tap into that system hardly ever. Mm -hmm. It still lives in us, right? We have that ability. Um, of course, our muscles and tendons and ligaments and everything aren't built to sustain it. So there's going to be things popping left and right when we hit, yeah. when we get into it. But um, that's why we try to, it's just kind of building a resiliency to that, to those high exposure speed. Can you walk me through? So knowing that, like how you would warm up, like yeah. specifically, I sure. know you have your own like methods for that, but sure. what does that look like yeah. you know, for somebody that sprints? Um, I mean, from a, from a high level without diving too deep into the details, like we, we, we tend to, we try to do like some spinal deloading and some nervous system turn on. We use a system called RPR, reflexive performance reset, where we kind of do some goofy fascial stuff that kind of turns on the nervous system. That's probably a whole nother podcast, you know, to dive into. Then we do some locomotion with some movement, raise the core temperature, get the blood flowing. Um, a lot of activation type movements. Um, we do work a lot like on a, on a blackboard, uh, getting the foot to kind of move and be mobile. Uh, a lot of mobilization of the mm. knee, ankle, hip joint. And, and then we start, you know, slowly, gradually getting into our bounce fire series, which is a it's a kind of a sprinting uh, progression of learning how to push through the ground, loading the foot. You know, it's kind of a mechanics thing. It also pre presents thousands to millions of ground contacts, which then starts to get ankle, you know, stiffness and stretch reflex and all the things that you want out of sprinting. And then that just builds into the workout, um, which again, the workout is actually probably the shortest part. Yeah. I was <laughs> because say, of how we do take things. A while, yeah. I mean, it takes half an hour to get an athlete ready to that mm. point. We also want to get some load volume in there in regards to speed reserve and, you know, the ability to handle those, those forces um, by doing some loaded sprints and plyometric type movement kind of things that we'll do. Wow. So hold on the warm up. Quote <laughs> unquote. First of all, I didn't hear you say static stretching. I didn't hear you no. say, get an elliptical and do 15 minutes <laughs> to warm up your body. Right. Um, no, you didn't. It's very, there's there's an incredible intent yeah. and direction That's in your right. warm up, and the warm up is 30 minutes. 
-hmm. Why is that so important? Because the warm-up's not what's giving them the results. Right. It's the workout. Right. But why is the warm-up so important? Right. Well, they have to be able to do the things you're going to ask them to do in the workout, right? Okay. And so the mobilization, the activation, you know, a lot of athletes nowadays, obviously we're dealing with like phones and posture and you know, when we have issues, mm. just, just mo mobility issues with, with young kids now. And so we have to get them out of that. You know, we have to decompress the spine. We have to make sure that all the hips are either mobile or stable, right? Kind of every other joint we want mobile, stable, mobile, stable up the kinetic chain. And so those things have to all be in alignment. And that's not just something you can do on an elliptical and, you know, for five minutes and, and get the blood flowing like we used to think was the case. You know what this reminds yeah. me of? If you've ever, like if you get in your, your typical four, six cylinder car and try mm -hmm. and go as fast as you can, no big deal. Go get in a high performance yeah drag racing car, one of those funny cars that goes zero to, you know, to this is a quarter mile in six seconds right. and watch the preparation and the potential for things to explode and shit and that. That's right. and so you're dealing with people. Now the average person probably should warm up smart too, sure. but you're dealing with athletes whose power potential is, is essentially equivalent to what I'm saying. The drag car right. where you got to really make sure everything's perfect. Cause if something goes off, one degree off or half a degree off is a major injury. That's right. Yeah, I mean, and, and you can make some mistakes with younger athletes. I mean, there's no question a 12-year-old is pretty loose, limber. They can kind of, you know, you yeah. can make a couple misses there. We try not to. We try to train our young kids exactly like we train our professionals. Um, but, yeah, you're dealing with Ferraris versus, you know, Volkswagens at some yeah. level yeah. Uh, with those guys, and you got to be really careful. You know this reminds me of? You ever hear the term old man strength? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I remember. I, I got mean, a little of that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Right. The way we explained it years ago, we had this question asked on the podcast and someone's like what is old man strength is it real or whatever and every young man look every 17 18 year old kid has Damn, tried right wrestling they're out of shape 48 year old <laughs> uncle got their ass kicked and just can't figure out why their uncle is so much stronger than they are and the way we explained it was like you see a puppy when they're like full size but they're still a puppy and they're right. goofy they don't know their bodies whereas you know your 48 year old uncle's body's been the same for a while that's right they just know how to move it better and so that's essentially what we're talking about yeah. so you're getting this person who's high performance yeah, that's right we got to get everything moving right because we're about to ask this person to exert incredible, sure. you know, performance, sure. and we want to prevent that potential injury or just improve. That's right. Yeah, I mean, your example of the drag cars is wonderful. My dad used to know um, Tony Schumacher's family, so we got <laughs> oh, yeah. to go sit in the you know the pit, you know, and they spend what two three hours putting yeah. an engine, rebuilding it, putting it back together, yeah. making sure everything's perfect for mm -hmm. a two and a half second run down the track. Yep. If if Burn one thing's a little bit off, right, the whole piston blows, the engine blows up, and I mean, it's, it's, I guess it's not a one for one with a human athlete, but pretty close. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know, I tell you that a couple of people I work with are, they're pretty stinking yeah. explosive. Meanwhile, you could take your Honda Civic, throw some, uh, you know, diesel gas and unleaded it again. <laughs> still going to get down the track. Still going to get down the track. You're going to be driving. <laughs> you, you mentioned, okay, we, we talk about uh, the younger kids and the, you know, obviously they have a little bit more resiliency. You can get away with some things. How does the assessment process change with like a young high school athlete versus a pro? We, like we've talked on the podcast before, like, I assume, and correct me if I'm wrong. You, when you're dealing with a pro athlete, you your uh, your number one priority is don't fuck him up. He's right. already a genetic right. freak. He's already at the highest level. Right. I don't want to break anything. I don't want to. Uh, if I see that, oh, he has slight internal rotation in his hip, like <laughs> I don't want to correct too much because sure. this guy is sure. figured it's it out at the highest system. level. Yeah. Versus maybe a. 13 year old kid yeah. who's, you know, learning how to squat a little fumble. So how yeah. does the assessment process yeah. different and how does your attack go different sure. for each? I think it's just a matter of like micro or macro, right? I mean, you're mm. looking at a, at a, at a young kid, it's more of a macro view on things. You know, you're, you're seeing massive improvements in their miles per hour, in their watt output, in their vertical jump. And those are the things that we're looking at and testing and monitoring. Obviously there's just the visual of, 
what we do and my staff, who's phenomenal, you know, somebody asked earlier about my staff and my staff is incredible because they're all, they're all master coaches. We all adhere to the same philosophy. So I have a staff of people where I can come out and be on your podcast while they're back running the show. And they're, they're really good at that. But with a, with an older athlete, a more developed athlete, then it's just a micro look. I mean, professional athletes are master compensators, right? They can (laughs) be, they can be completely injured and still perform. That doesn't mean it's great for their body or great for performance. And I've seen that with a couple of our athletes where, you know, gosh, you're, you're completely asymmetrical or you have hip mobility problems or whatever, but you're still able to do what everything you're doing. So there, therein lies the, you know, the assessment of, okay, what do we need to do to help that person versus we kind of know what we need to do with the young kid to continue to progress them in their development. Yeah. Well, so like just to, just to piggyback off that, you take a high level athlete with a little with what a typical trainer would say is a movement pattern issue, mm-hmm. but that movement pattern issue this athlete has been training with and learned how to work around so well that you correct that you've completely thrown off their movement. That's right, and now they're worse. That's right, even mm-hmm. though you've corrected you know something. Yeah. And then we're talking about the CNS a lot. Um, there's a lot of things that affect the central nervous system. So to give you an example, I'm sure you're familiar with the study, but there was a study that was recently not recently but was done over the last maybe five years that compared uh, different aspects of lifestyle and injury risk, mm-hmm. okay? So warming up, not warming up, going too heavy, whatever, lack of sleep. The thing that caused the most injury was lack of sleep. Yep. Yeah, lack of sleep, caught before, more than not warming up, more than doing your mechanics wrong. It was the absolute worst thing. Yeah. And that directly, I mean, you lose a night of sleep, your CNS is off mm-hmm. in one day. Yeah. So what are the things you look at besides your training and your warm-ups with your athletes? Because, I mean, a lot of things affect those. That's right. Yeah, I think with the younger kids, it's hard to monitor, obviously, yeah. right? And you're, you're preaching good things. You know, you want them. Uh, you know, I, I it's been said on the internet all over the place, and I've stolen it from guys of sleep's the number one supplement. You know, all these kids nowadays, they want to take this and take that. Yeah. And, and the best thing they can do is just have a good, well-rounded diet and get a lot of sleep, yep. you know, especially as they're a developing athlete. But then even, even professional athletes – you know, and they can get tugged in a lot of different directions, you know, and have a oh, lot yeah. of different things going on. It'd probably be pretty easy to, to lose sleep and stuff like that. But the ones that I know that are really good um, and have had sustained careers and they're excelling in their in their deal, they still prioritize that. You know, they don't get caught up in the party scene. They, they prioritize sleep. They prioritize nutrition, hydration, recovery, you know, their saunas, their cold plunging. They're doing all the things, you know, to try to, again, because these guys are, you know, they're million million dollar you know deals um it's not like you know that that young kid yet but um i think that you know we don't monitor the young kids very much we just try to preach you know hey this is good for you we don't know exactly what they're doing yeah but at the higher level like 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 the car analogy you know you're you're working with a regular car off the lot i mean you could easily change something and make it go a lot faster you get to the highest highest performance yeah what about like when they first come in like we have a good friend i don't know if you're familiar with joe defranco i think joe defranco Mm -hmm. is uh, one of the ogs in the space training football athletes and stuff like that uh and he blew all our minds on one of the ways you know there's lots of hrv training and stuff that's out there as far as all these cool tools he would actually do just a grip test yep before Mm -hmm. and i thought i don't know why i never thought of that that's big yeah so basic and simple and so do you have something like that like when the guys come in obviously you're asking right how did you sleep and stuff like that but do you have something that you do to test to to see if it's aligning with what they're telling you yeah 
You know, uh, Taylor Nelson Cook, who's my VP of Operations back home, um, he's he's into all the all the gadgets, right? Yeah, and he yeah. has a he does a grip test, and we have Hawk and Dynamics as a partner, and so mm-hmm. we'll we'll get athletes on those and try to get some you know monitoring numbers. We can get about I think 127 data points on one counter movement jump, wow, which will tell you a lot of readiness and are there asymmetries and you know mm-hmm. things like that. So yes, we are trying to do those things. I probably fall a little bit on this side of I'm just old and I've been doing it so long. It's more for me, it's more relational and a conversation yeah. and I can almost just feel pick up the signs. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I probably say that, you know, of all the workouts I've written over the years, I've never completed a one of them. There's never been one that's gone exactly like I wrote yeah. it out. Yeah. You know, it's a sign of a, I say that's a yeah, sign that's of a great training. Right? You well, have a plan, but then never the, nothing yeah, ever goes according yeah. to plan. The plan is that there's no plan. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we have an outline of what we want to accomplish. Uh, I can tell even in the warm up or in conversation what's going on, how they're feeling. And I know already I'm making adjustments to the load, to the volume, to the intensity, the amplitude, like whatever it is that we need to make adjustments on. And typically by the end, you know, and then you always have to, you know, evaluate your session afterwards of like, that didn't go very well. Or, hey, that we knocked it out of the park. Now, here's what we're doing in two days from now. Wow. So, Brian, uh, you totally back up how we feel, which is that experience when it comes to trainers or coaches is the most important thing yeah. because, look, here's the deal. You could have, and I'd love your opinion mm, on this, you sure. could have all the data points you want, yeah. but if it's the athlete over knowledge. if the athlete suddenly doesn't believe, just doesn't believe that they're ready or thinks of something different or whatever, that's going to throw everything off. That's right. And those data points aren't going aren't gonna to show that. You could have all the physical readiness in the world, but if the athlete's like, I don't think I feel good, even though the readiness says they do, guess what? They don't. And the only way you can know that is by watching the signs through experience. So you probably can look at your athletes and you probably kind of know. Yeah, I do. I mean, I think it's, I, I tease a lot, right? The whoop got the whoop now. We got the Apple watches. We <laughs> yeah. got all the things. Yeah. And yeah. I kind of tease. I'm like, you want to know why I don't wear a whoop? I don't wear one. Yeah. Because no matter what my score is, I got to get up and go kick ass that day. Yeah. You know, yeah. whether it's yeah, it scores matter. 10 or 100, <laughs> it don't matter. I still got to go. And I do feel that way with athletes a little bit too. I think some of that stuff gets in their head. And, you know, sometimes if you're a good coach, you're also a great psychologist and you can help them, you know, get to a great training session, even though they don't totally feel well or whatever that number, you know, that the watch told them um, sometimes gets in the way. So, you know, it's a fine line, I think, to to not use technology and not would be, you know, absurd. But I also think, you know, not everybody can have 30 years of experience of diving in. Um, It's really important to me that we are relational with our athletes. We're talking with them. We're knowing what's going on outside of it. Um, Cause otherwise, I mean, the workout that you wrote, I mean, we, anybody can go to workout on the internet, right? Like yeah. you can go find one. People hit us up all the time. I can send you exactly what Jalen Howell's doing or, you know, some of my yeah. athletes, but there's, you're missing the, you're missing the most important component, which is the relational piece and motivation. And, you know, really that pulse, the check. mindset, a hundred percent. You remind mindset. me of a line from uh, the movie Rocky. These guys make fun of me. Cause I always quote it, but this is like the 10th time he's <laughs> brought it up. <laughs> yeah. First time the in this last, interview, like, five everybody. Podcasts. Yeah. Don't make me get up and start doing burpees. <laughs> yeah, no, but there's, there's a scene in there where, uh, cue the music where yeah, Rocky yeah. is, I think he's starting to date Adrian and Mickey goes, women make the knees weak. <laughs> 
I think what he's talking about as a trainer is it's the mental part. You know what I mean? And that's that old, you know, that's like old wisdom in in, sure. uh, in boxing training. Where they, like they sure. say, oh, don't sleep with somebody for thirty yeah, days or whatever. Yeah. Everybody's like, where's the science? It's like probably the psychological stuff that that's messes right. with you if you yeah, get in a yeah. fight or something like that. That's right. Yeah. yeah so. Sometimes we just got to lean on like you know, and again, it can be good and bad. We lean on what we know, yeah. you know, which can be that old school mentality that we haven't broke. Yeah. Um, versus <laughs> though, there's some stuff we learned along the way, you know. Of I loved what was Jim Harbaugh last night said something about he called his dad on something that he wanted. You know, we had a bad practice and I called my dad. He told me what to do in 30 seconds versus me having to go back and figure it out in three hours. Yeah. Right? He just leaned on his dad's wisdom of all the years of experience. You know, and here he is, probably 80 some years old, and you know, man, he could just dissect it like that. Now, because you you were literally bred into this, do you feel like most all your knowledge has come from most experience in your father and grandfather? Or along the way, has there been new uh, methodologies or certifications or things that you've picked up and went, oh, that that's really good shit, and then have applied it to what you're doing? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> yes. Yes to all. Yeah. I mean, I think I had a great... Uh, the upbringing piece, the foundation of going in, but really from there, I can't say that I looked back much from there. I, I didn't go back. My dad passed away seven years ago. I haven't been able to kind of spin a lot of this stuff off of him. And so, but in that, in those next 25 years, I was, I was a probably annoying to coaches and people. And I reached out to, and I went and visited and I, you know, I just, I lived in a weight room for 14 years, teaching seven, eight weight training classes a day. Those were all my test subjects. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I was reading and I always had a thirst for doing it a little bit better. Yeah. And what's this guy doing, you know, and what's, what's this guy doing? And, you know, Bill Carson at East Carolina university back in the gosh, mid nineties, like that was my first guy that I was like, gosh, I read an article of how he's always sprinting and spikes and going fast all the time. That sounds fun to me. That sounds better than what I did. So I'm going to try some of that, you know, and then reach out to Vince Anderson and reach out to, you know, all the guys along the way. I actually also had some great mentors locally in Denver there. I got to be around one of the best track coaches, I think, in the world um, who only ever coached club track. He never coached professional. He never coached, you know, college or anything. But this guy had unreal developmental, you know, assets that I got to have a front seat to. And I paid attention, yeah, yeah. you know, versus going, I know how to do it. You know, this is how my dad did it. So I'm going to do it this way. Mm -hmm. And I probably took a lot of things from my dad and my grandfather. You know, my grandfather was older. I didn't get to really see him coach. Yeah. Uh, but some of these guys that I got to be around, man, I did get to see it. And so I would just take bits and pieces. And, you know, now we have Kula Sports Performance and we have what I'd call a system. But it's just a it's a gumbo of all the things <laughs> that I've learned over the years. You know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this. And then, you know, what's our little special secret sauce that we added to it, which is probably just the voluming and the programming and the organization of it became our system. Yeah. Now, Brian, we pride ourselves. We talk typically we talk to generally the either the average person who's mm -hmm. trying to improve their health and fitness. And sometimes we talk to trainers and coaches just because that's what we did sure. uh, for decades and years. And one thing that separates us or one thing that we all value is that there's a value in all these different training modalities. Like for the average person, I can definitely take some principles for bodybuilding that'll benefit them. I can definitely take some principles from powerlifting that'll benefit them or principles from Olympic lifting or principles from track and field. Now, that doesn't mean the average person is going to be any of those things, but there are components that we've picked and cho chosen that seem to benefit the average person. If you mix them right, kind of like what you're saying into a gumbo, sure. this is going to work really well. 
are there things that you've been able to adopt from different strength that have nothing to do with football? Let's say, like, yeah. are there things from bodybuilding that you've seen that may have some some well, value or Olympic fascia. lifting? I'm or, sure that was something. That, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, or powerlifting. Like, yeah. like, could you talk about that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I I think I've been influenced by almost every you know industry that touches sports performance. If it's, I mean, even down to physical therapists and body care people, physios, medical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I've been able, I've been very fortunate because the athletes I work with to be around some of the best in the world there and learn about fascial and Aldoa methods and and mm-hmm. how you know different different ways to care for the athlete. Those things sometimes are more important than what we do, like in the weight room. Totally. Again, that's why I led with like the weight room is the lowest hanging fruit. You know, that's easy to get an athlete, put them in the weight room, make them a little stronger. And we say, I'm a sports performance guy because Johnny got a little faster. He jumps a little higher. That's of course that's going to happen. But but again, if we're going to keep pushing the envelope and, you know, we're going to do that. But then we're also going to touch on, you know, all these other influences and things that have come into um I guess the industry. Um, and for me, it's just been a very fortunate, blessed, you know, uh, way that I've come in and been exposed to some of those things. Not everybody gets, you know, to see that stuff. No, no, no. Eldo blew my mind the yeah, first time that completely. we did that. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to ask you a super annoying question that I get annoyed with <laughs> when people ask me, but I know the audience want to hear this. And so I want to hear how you navigate it. Okay. For a football player, what is one of the most, or maybe the three most important <laughs> exercises. And I know that's annoying mm-hmm. because yep. it depends on the athlete and all that stuff. But sure. can you name three that you would say generally are some of the most important exercises? Sure. Uh, sprinting fast, jumping high. And I would, if I had to dial down to one lift, it'd be the, the trap bar deadlift. Oh, wow. Um, so, you know, and again, I, and I know those are three yeah, very general you, You've you know, echoed, that, that's right. Corey yeah, told Corey, us exactly. Corey, Corey, well, you don't yeah. do a lot of spinal loading at the professional level, I don't, right? I don't I, do any. Okay. If, I, if I can help it, I don't do any. Okay. Once in a while, we'll load up a big, heavy, like a uh, pin squat or a box squat type of a deal. We don't want to mess with, with their knees. And so you have to put on for a little hormone response, you know, just to get that, you know, push on some heavy weight. But yeah, we try not to spinal load if we don't have to. I don't even love spinal loading young athletes, to be honest with you. Wow. Mm. I just think we can accomplish and, and get a lot done. Trap bar deadlift hits seven major muscle groups. It's forced production into the ground, which is where you play sports. Mm-hmm. Um, football is one of the only sports where you actually have like an external force uh, yeah. in the game itself. So therefore, that would make sense to, you know, a little bit of back squat, little, you know, having to push. Oh, on I see. But everything else, like soccer, you push on the ground. Track and field, you push on yeah. the ground. You're not pushing Lacrosse, against someone you push else. On the right. ground. You're not pushing against an external outside force. So it's ground based, which is funny because I, I referenced Husker Power earlier, and that you know those guys mm-hmm. were big of ground ground based movements, and that's where my mind was rooted for all those years. So when trap bar deadlift came out for all those years in the weight room with those young kids, 50% of them were terrible squatters. It's a hard movement if yeah. kids have totally. mobility or long long femur or, you know, just different mobility issues. I mean, yeah. my son, he's 6'8". He yeah. has a t- hard time back squatting. Mm-hmm. But I can get him into a trap bar deadlift, and he's very proficient at it. We can elevate it if needed. It's safer. Um, but we, we still get the strength and the, you know, eccentric, concentric movement. Let me add to that, Brian, because, yeah. uh, you know, what I would say, depending on the person, if someone's like, oh, I don't have the mobility to squat or whatever i'd say okay let's work on the things that are preventing you from doing mm-hmm. what would be considered by many people a fundamental exercise yep. however when you're training an athlete and you're you got a season coming up yep. you might not have the time to build the skill to then reap the benefits of that exercise in which case a trap bar deadlift 
like you said, uh, I could have almost anybody do it. Am I, am I putting this in the right context? You're, you're, that's nail on the head. I mean, it's what's your ROI? You know, if, right. if, if I, if Talk I'm going to have to spend death. eight weeks getting yeah. a kid to squat better and I can right. heel wedge them and I can do all the things and work mobility, that's great. But now I just spent eight weeks doing that when I could have spent eight weeks working on his force production. <laughs> in the trap bar because uh, I can get him on that day yeah. two and we're rolling. Okay. So for us, especially in the private sector, like that's our staple lift um, hmm. as far as a heavy bilateral goes. So back to your original question is if I, you know, and I've been asked this quite a bit, cause yeah. we've done some stuff on mass specific force and we, I would throw every weight uh, lift in the weight room out if, if I could just do deadlift. Wow. 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 So, and, and I, now, I, now this is uh, the reason why I wanted you to say that it's is because so different. Yeah. somebody <laughs> listening right now, who's just looking for improved health, longevity, mobility, some muscle, faster metabolism, mm-hmm. average person, yep. their time frame is for is the rest of their life. Yep. They're not like, I got eight weeks till I got to get in the season. <laughs> totally different consideration. Yep. Average person, I would say, let's work on mobility. You're going to have to want to squat. We, you know, it's not just eight weeks, it's the next 40 years. You're training an athlete, you got a time frame, you got to produce results. Yeah. That makes the biggest difference sure. in the world. Sure. Right. Yeah. And there's, I mean, you know, also, I don't know, it's funny. Uh, two uh, podcasts I was on a couple weeks ago asked me if you could throw out one exercise, what would you throw out? And I said the back squat. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, I know that's not a very, it's not a very, it's not a very Blasphemy. popular. I mean, yeah. you guys aren't going to jump me, are you? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. no, no. no uh, but you're explaining it perfectly. No, 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 it's completely logical. ROI I mean, has to be played right. in this and, and factored in. Sports are played on one foot anyway. Yeah. Like, mo- you know, yep. they're, they're, you know, and I know that you need, again, that big, heavy back squat, there's something to that. Yeah. But if you had to go back and, and do a, a case study on a, on a soccer player, how mm-hmm. often are they, you know, force producing off no. one foot versus yeah. two? So yeah. we'd much rather go into a rear foot elevated, you know, lunge or, or something like that as a uh-huh. major lift. Uh, also, too, in, in the United States, I think we've gotten maybe it was bodybuilding. I'm not exactly sure the cause, but we're very quad dominant. You know, we're infatuated with the anterior chain and a big, strong quad. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, we forget the posterior chain, which is the gas, right? Completely, the yeah. quads are the brakes, the, the butt and the hamstrings are the gas. We like gas, right? You know, we want big old boot. And, and hamstrings and uh, we need a little bit of deceleration abilities out of the quads for a football soccer player but mm-hmm. track and field and speed as we're trying to we got to make sure that that's equally developed yeah see when we're when we're talking to the average person the average person is their priorities are and we wish they were different but the priorities are look better yep so like what's going to build muscle what's going to see in the mirror yeah, what's yeah. going <laughs> to make fat loss easier yep, yep. and then next would be like health and mobility and stuff like that that's right when it comes to like changing the body and we have the time frame being forever Back squats are amazing. I mean, they do. They build a lot of muscle. They give you great results, whatever. But the way you're explaining performance, ROI, I mean, it makes absolute perfect sense. In fact, you've probably explained it better than anybody else I've ever heard. And I'm glad you did because this confuses people. Mm Because what ends up happening is we had a question from the average person. They're not, they don't have a season coming up. They're, you know, 35. They just want to be fit. I heard this trainer say that, you know, uh, you know, half squats are better. It's like, yeah. okay, wh- who were they talking about? Yeah. You know, NBA right. basketball player, right. like, you know, right. totally different. Right. So it makes a big difference sure. who you're talking about. And I'm, you know, and I'm also pretty big on, I mean, what works for you, right? I right. mean, we, we can't put everything in a box and say like, Hey, here's our system. Just go do this. And you're good. I mean, for, for me, when we're vetting like a new athlete, we got to figure out, I mean, I trained an NHL guy up in Canada. I went up and visited him this summer and he can't trap bar deadlift. I mean, that's my main lift exercise. Wow. It's my go-to and he just can't do it. He's got some low back issues. Uh-huh. So we had to get pretty creative on, okay, how else are we going to stimulate and, and you know, the, the posterior chain, but mm-hmm. make it heavy, you know, our lift, our, our, uh, our one for one lift is a hip thrust, like a, a barbell hip thrust. And so we, we threw that in there. 
But again, I can't just say like, hey, our system is trap bar deadlift. Josh, yeah. go do your thing. Right. Um, he's going to get injured or he's going to get frustrated. So it's all, you know, even that that regular, you know, dad that wants to stay in shape, maybe he wants to train like an athlete. We yeah. can't just say do X, Y, and Z. You know, what works for you? What 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 are you good at? How do you move? You know, maybe back squat's great for you. Maybe you got bad knees. Maybe your patella tendons or your, you know, you have that femoral, you know, dysplasia where, it, you know, squats are always going to hurt your knees. So is there ever a case? Squat. Is there ever a case where you let a, a, an athlete still back squat? I mean, if he was doing it, maybe... If they had like really good technique yeah, form, great whatever. technique, and they've been doing it for ten years or something. Like that. Sure, okay. I have I have a couple of college football players that I work with, and that's a <clears throat> that's a staple in college football yeah, programs. Yeah, big yeah, old yeah, back squat. So if that's in their tested. programming, and they need to go back to school in the fall, and they have to you know be get tested and things like that, then we're going to keep that going for them for okay. sure. I don't think it's something that's negative for an athlete. You know, when I say I'd throw it out, it's not because I think it's a horrible lift. I just think that there's other ways to skin the cat. You know, yeah. um, and especially from the maybe the realm that I'm coming from. Yeah. Versus like, I'm not just, you know, we're not trying to build 600 pound squat clubs in our weight room, you know, yeah. as, as a college football program, which can be important. You know, there's a, there's a mental component to that. There's a camaraderie and a team thing. And that's just not the world that I live in. Well, yeah. something I've heard you and, and somebody else bring up before was a concept I'd like you to explain a bit further was like slack and contract. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. that being why another reason why you don't really tend to, to backload the squat and how it's like right. more eccentrically focused. And so can you explain that a bit more in terms of the concept? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, for us, uh, obviously, I mean, it's, it's tough at the bottom of a back, big, heavy back squat, right? You have that tension there. And so you, you need some of that uh, in sport, but you know, we'll, we'll tilt towards like a heavy pin squat where we break the concentric eccentric chain so that we have pure concentric output, you know, not kind of a stretch loaded. Um, so is this a pause? So bring it down. It the can pin, be a pause. Rest yeah, it for like a, a second, box squat. Back up. The pin. Yeah, or like start a total deloading. It can be either. I Got mean, it. It can be either. Uh, I really like box squat. Um, I think that probably comes a little bit from old school. My my, my pops back in the day. That's my but, that's my favorite lift. Yeah, 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 box squat, but also a pin squat's the same thing. Just not sitting down. I think right. for some athletes, actual the, the act of sitting, they they relax their low back a little bit. Not you know, no. not good. Um, so with young athletes, we we go to a pin squat. So we'll put the safety pins up where they get into about 135 degree squat. They rest the bar before the eccentric movement on the way back up. So we accomplish the same thing. They put some heavy weight on. Again, we don't have to go all the way to the bottom where there's just such that, you know, (laughs) uncomfortable position Mm -hmm. for a lot of athletes at the bottom. Um, some kids, some athletes are great at it. You know, they got short little femurs, short torso, whatever. They're just built to squat. You know, I wasn't one of those guys. I was kind of a taller, longer decathlete type. And I didn't love to back squat either. Maybe that's part of my bias because I wasn't, I, I was a guy that probably benched more than I squatted at one point in my life. Do, do you use, uh, uh, like progressive resistance, like bands or chains ever? We do sometimes. Um, I, I don't know, um, the the limited amount of time that I have to program for oh, things, yeah. Yeah. we we would typically rather be an inch wide and a mile deep in what we're doing. Sure, we're not a big you know we're going to add this, add that you know a bunch of trinkets, bunch of different you know. Um, That's a big mistake a lot of trainers will make, right? Is they'll be like, I'm going to do all these different methodology methodologies versus like getting really good at the big ones. What was I that? think I think guys in my industry maybe I don't know what I've seen is they're just afraid to lock into something and know it's going to work, even as as basic it might seem. Mm-hmm. You know. 
I could sit here and lay out my system for you and you might be like, hmm, that's not as complicated as I thought it might <laughs> that's be. That's what they say about our program. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> our best program, they're like, yeah. this is it? Yeah. <laughs> that's but right. You know what? I already Again, know all these exercises. I can go a mile wide and an inch deep and get, you know, but we, we're, we're working for mastery. Some of the things that we want to get out of, like especially the speed components and stuff, you got to do millions of times over to get good at it. Mm-hmm. And then same thing in the weight room. I'd rather just, you know, focus on being really good at that. We're never getting injured. I'm not going to, you know, every time you present something new to them in, a, in an exercise, you're going to present, it's a new stimulus. So you're going to get some soreness. You're going to get, and I just told you that fatigue is, is the enemy for us. Yeah. So why would I change the heavy bilateral, you know, every other week? I kind of want them to get used to deadlift. Now we'll go into different variations of that where we have an eccentric component. Sometimes we drop the bar from mm-hmm. the top to eliminate eccentric. Like if we're in season or preseason, mm-hmm. um, we can do elevated, we can do split stance. I mean, we can do tons of variations. Brian, when we would train the average person uh, mm-hmm. and we work with, I'm, I'm using an example because I'll ask you a question after, but when we work with the average person with diet, uh, this is just through experience. There's a million and one different things we could do with someone's diet, but they're the big rocks and then there's the smaller ones. Like we're going to start with the ones that people will probably be able to do that'll mm-hmm. also give them the biggest results. So to give you an example, I could tell someone to count their calories and their macros, or I could tell them, hit your body weight and protein from Whole Foods. And I know what's going to happen is you're going to eat less calories. You're going to build more muscle. Just that one thing is going to make this. Do you have for high-level athletes, when you first get them, are there your big rocks? We're like, okay, we're going to do this first because this typically yields the biggest result before we move on to some of these smaller things. You just said it. It's protein. Really? Yeah, Yeah, 100%. My wife's actually our nutrition coach, and she'll get on and do a consultation with uh, all of our young athletes, for example. And the the number one thing that she comes out of them with is they don't eat enough protein. God, everybody, 100%, everybody, hundred yeah. so, percent. I mean, we're a, we're a carb world, right? Everything's yep, yeah. quick, easy carbs, and so I think just just telling them because again they'll get full and maybe not eat as many carbs. Yeah. So you're killing two birds with one stone <laughs> yeah. without having to tell them like, hey, you just got to hit 1.5 times your body weight in protein and see what happens. Wow, or, you're aiming for one and a half. Yeah, for your yeah, well, I mean, athletes, high level, level athletes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and frankly, it's it's a little bit of the mindset of aim for one point five and hope and you get, get to one point oh. Yeah, you know, same like an experienced trainer. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> same with uh, same with hydration. Of hey, yeah. just replace everything you're currently drinking with water. So yeah, if they drink yeah. a Coke, they're just going to drink a water. If they yeah. drink coffee, drink a water. Now is the know? focus Whole Foods or like eat this protein in food? Try not to get it from whole, whole food always. Okay. Yeah. Whole food always. I mean, it, you know, you have to coach them if they can't get whole food. And, yeah. you know, they're some guy, some kids are not going to meal prep. They're not going to have, you know, their chicken and rice throughout the day. So maybe a shake makes sense, you know, to try to supplement some of that in. But uh, yeah, my wife, who's our kind of our foodie uh, nutrition coach, she would tell them, you know, whole food first. Do you see this with the high level athletes too, where you're like, yeah, you're not hitting enough protein. It depends. I mean, my, my high level athletes, I, I don't have like a ton of them. And so the ones that I do have are pretty elite and they are taking care of that stuff kind of on their own. Yeah. I mean, you know, Christian is, as an example is, is dialed in like you wouldn't believe. I mean, he could sit on here and tell me how to, you know, clean up my diet. Um, so he's pretty dialed in that way. I think most of them are Janine Becky, the gal that plays for team Canada, Jalen Howell at, uh, racing Louisville. These guys are, I mean, they're, they want to be the best in the game. Yeah. So they're taking care of everything. They're sleeping. They're taking the right supplements. They're you know hitting all their their nutritional you know needs and sleep and um, it's impressive. I mean it's actually inspiring. 
Now, you've worked with uh, Chris McCaffrey for a long time. I'd be remiss not to kind of dive in a bit in terms (laughs) of, like, when you guys met, like, what makes him so special as an athlete? Like, obviously, he's he's literally, like, the best right now in the league. He's uh, he's average. I don't know. He's he's okay. (laughs) I hope he's on my favorite team, and I'm a big fan. So Let's just say that he makes me look like a really good trainer. Um, He's he's a pretty easy guy to coach. Okay. Um, I mean, he's it's funny. He's easy, and he's hard to coach in the same, you know, in the same breath uh he's just a guy that you know uh, takes takes it so seriously he you know he has a strong desire to be the best i mean even this season right i mean this has been a great season for him he's wanted this season for seven years running and he wants five more seasons like it afterwards and he'll do pretty much anything and everything to you know make sure that that's um in alignment so yeah our relationship stems back to high school i coached him in high school oh no i didn't know that yeah football and track i've known their family for you know tons of years and um, well, th- that'll make it so much more effective because the trust is there. Yeah, yeah. We, we really do have a, I mean, we have a friendship, we have a mentorship. Um, I think we have, you know, we have some spiritual alignment, you know, we hold each other accountable in some, in some of those ways. And so it's really a special, a special relationship, but um, the training piece, you know, after his rookie year in the NFL, he came back and said, dude, NFL is another level in speed. Like he's fast. He was fast for me in high school. He ran on a couple of state record relays for us. I mean, he was fast. But after his first year in the NFL, that was the one thing that he came back that said he needed help on was he got he needed to get faster. So he kind of tapped me in just, you know, I was a, I was a speed guy. We had that relationship and I just told him, I said, I'll train you, but it's going to it's going to look probably a little different than what you've done in the past. It's going to be track and field based, speed based. And it went really well. Those first couple of years were really good. He's at Carolina. He had the thousand thousand season and. Then he went through a couple years of injury, which again, I think they were trying. I know they were for him. They were for me as a trainer. They pushed me to be, you know, a lot better in the, in the compensation mm-hmm. and the body care and the, you know, all the other things. Um, I mean, I really honestly probably owe it to him primarily to have gotten to the level as a trainer that I am now. Uh, Cause you don't show up to train really any of those guys uh, not fully prepared. You know, that's not something you roll into and bullshit your way through. Yeah. Tell, oh, yeah. tell us about that. Cause I, I remember the first time I experienced this personally, I, I didn't play traditional sports, but I was a grappler. So wrestling, judo, mm-hmm, jujitsu. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I remember the first time uh, I would go against high level black belts. And then I remember when a world champion came in to train with us Yeah, and it was like, it was like I knew nothing. All of a sudden, it was a different human being. That's right. Tell us the difference between high school, college, and at the pro level. Like you just, you just kind of talked about that. Your your athlete in college very fast goes up to the pros, and all of a sudden he's slow. Like how big of a difference is that step? Yeah, it's 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 massive. I mean, I think we even see that from high school to college, oh, yeah. right? And then even what level of college did yeah, you go right. to? D one versus D three you know, is a like, big difference. Eye opening for me, man. Oh. Some of those guys are <laughs> you know they're boom boom and right into you know the the professional ranks, and then you know yeah the I mean you're talking about how many millions of kids play like high school football, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And then you're talking about fifty three guys on a roster, you know, <laughs> times thirty two teams. Like it's it's so elite. You know, I I heard someone the other day said something like, "Oh, he was only on the practice squad," and I'm like, "Bro, he was on a pro roster <laughs> yeah. in the NFL. Right. That is so it's elite. You have no impressive. idea. Those guys. Yeah. I mean, some of those guys that get cut, or you know, you hear the knucklehead in the stands. It's like, oh, you suck. You know, they have they have no clue how talented those guys are, yeah. and the ones that are elite in that realm, the McCaffreys, the you know, you fill in the blank." Um, they're they're it's it's, it's like a different species it is it, it it really is a different level of athleticism but it's also another level of mindset commitment you know execution it's all uh, of it 
It's it's the whole nine. Brian, I, I we we wrote a we created a program called Map Strong. It's like a strongman based yeah. uh, workout program. Yeah. And we did it with a a world strongest Robert man, Obers. Com- Robert Obers, competitor. Mm-hmm. He was also a D one football player at one point, mm-hmm. right? And it was the first time I'd ever seen somebody that big. I mean, how much did he weigh? 340 pounds? <laughs> yeah, three hundred and forty pounds. Three, yeah. 40, he, I think. he was doing some drills, which was part of the program because he believed strongman events required some agility. Sure. <laughs> so he's running ladders and sprinting. Like fast. I've yeah. never seen a 300. First of all, I've never seen anybody move that fast. Yeah. But someone yeah. who's that big moving that fast was terrifying, actually, in real life. Like to see something like that looks yeah. like a cartoon. Like, is yeah. this real? And then Adam and Justin have a story where they used to manage a gym mm. and there were a bunch of, there were a few oh. like pro, they're San Francisco. Niners, yeah, they came in. Yeah, we shut the gym down to. Uh, play a pickup basketball game against a bunch of uh, 49ers. And there was only, I think, two starters. The rest were, yeah. you know, just on the roster. And they guys. were football players, big yeah. dudes. Yeah. Yeah. Basketball. And there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. there was a lineman. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. lineman yeah. dunking on Amazingly us. athletic. Catching alley-oops. And none of them are basketball Shooting players. They're just NFL half players. It's, just, it's, yeah, it's insane. We had, a, we had a training session in 2019, I think it was, and we were at the the old high school that I was at. And we the three of us, I had DJ Moore and Alex Arma that were with the Panthers and Christian. We went into the gym and they were dunking the basketball. You know, and Christian, he's 5'10 and a half, you know, like on a good <laughs> day kind of thing and he's doing windmill dunks uh alex arma who's about six foot 245 pound fullback is coming in two hand dunking the basketball dj moore you know almost hit his head on the ceiling kind of a thing oh so God. it's yeah it's, it's a different it, it is it's, yeah this was it was isaac who's a lineman who's like 300 pounds <laughs> yeah, i had to cover him was... manny lawson literally jumped over my head and caught an alley-oop and dunked <laughs> it it was just yeah it felt like i was in a movie yeah it was so yeah. we were like weird. little babies out there and yeah. we were all ex-basketball player so we thought we were actually going to put up a pretty good game it wasn't right. even it wasn't even close it well and crazy. back to your point about the big guys i yeah. mean that's that's again sometimes i i almost go there when i'm training like a, a guy like christian where i'm like man i've seen uh chase young and joey bosa up close and those are the guys we're trying not to get hit by yeah. right that's like getting hit by a mac truck man it's unreal how big and how fast they are and to have those guys' job be to knock your helmet off yeah I mean, it's it's scary. it's it's scary. It's, 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 it's Trent scary. Williams. I mean, Trent Williams might be one of the best athletes in the NFL. I don't. I remember if he's three ten or three twenty. I don't know what he weighs, but he's a massive human being, and he moves when he gets out and runs in space. It's it's. It's, it really is. It's I like, can only imagine wow. being like McCaffrey and seeing something like that Dude. coming at you. Is kind of that's motivating. Yeah. I got to get good. Be man. better. That guy's on your team and not on the other team. <laughs> yeah. I guess. Yeah, right. So. so so you know, I think. Uh, it would be relatively, I think, easy, maybe not, but relatively, I think the average person thinks it would be easy to identify physical attributes of a gifted athlete, right? Mm-hmm. You can see them play. They're so much better than everyone else, so much faster. They jump so much higher. What are the mental attributes that you see in some of the top athletes that separates them from from other people? Yeah. Uh, discipline. I think is probably the I would say one of the number one things. So just consistency, they just, just consistency, don't stop. discipline. They 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 don't miss training sessions. They don't miss sleep. They don't give in to the you know the um, I guess temptation to party. And it, exactly, like all all those things, and you know, not that any of those things in a small microdosed way are are bad. You know, I think everybody's human and whatnot, but. The ones that I've seen be excellent, and I've just been blessed to be around some of the best, are so consistent, it's almost sickening, you know? Um, But that's why they're where they're at, you know? And they might not be having as much fun as I have on the weekends, you know, kind of a thing. But they have a plan, they have a goal, and, you know, hell or high water, they're going to stick to it. You know, that's a big deal, Brian, because you're a a 20-something-year-old kid, Mm -hmm. you're making millions of dollars, Mm -hmm. you got all these fans, you're famous, 
uh, I remember what it was like to be in my early twenties and not any of those things and to not go and drink and party yeah. and, you know, hang out with girls, whatever. Sure. That's a big deal. Sure. What you're talking about. Sure. It really is. And I mean, and some of these guys, like, I don't know. I mean, I trained a couple of pro soccer girls who are not as famous, who are not making, you know, all the money. But they still have the discipline yeah. because they want to be the best at what they do, and and that's that's as 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 admirable, you know. I mean, obviously Christian's very famous, and you know uh, Jalen Howell. I mean, she doesn't miss a session. She eats perfectly. She's trying to be the mm -hmm. best soccer player and make the U.S. Women's National Team and like all the things, and she she does it through a level of discipline. I think it's a common thread through those that want to be excellent. Mm, do you yeah. get more joy in training the younger athletes or the pros? Um. Gosh, it's it's I, I it's a tough question. I've actually been asked that a couple different times, and I just I get a kick out of both of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? They they serve different. It's kind of like when I coach. When I coach track, it served me one way. When I coach football, it served me one way. You know, one was very much like I train them and then I cut them loose, and it's fun to watch. And football, you have like this direct impact on what goes on because mm -hmm. you call the plays and stuff. I think with the athletes, it's it's similar where. The young athletes, man, you really help kind of get them going, you know, and the pro athletes, you have to dive so much deeper. There's more of that personal relationship piece yeah. and a lot more, I guess, uh, mentorship that goes into that. And yeah. so, you know, when I watch when I watch them play in a professional game, I, I worked with uh, Anna Hall in high school. She should be a gold medal favorite in the heptathlon this year. When I watch them compete, man, it's like you're living every moment with them. You yeah. know, I don't know that I get that kind of buy-in with the high school kids mm -hmm. but yet you probably help that high school kid move so much further down the path you know yeah, so it's yeah. kind of the same but different right right there's a little bit it's like your kid what kid do you love the most right yeah, yeah right I, I do like them both i mean yeah. i still there's something still about i mean the other day i had to kind of tap in and help some high school hurdlers which hurdling was kind of my thing and i love coaching it and it was probably one of the best 90 minutes i had all mm -hmm. you know all month that's of just cool. diving in with these, you know, kids that can hardly walk and chew gum or whatever. And you're, you're teaching them how to hurdle and you're going over the basics, yeah. you know, whereas the day before I'm working with two of the best soccer players in yeah. the world and we're doing all kinds of different stuff with them. But I, you know, they, they, they're both special to me. Yeah. 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 When you, when you look at uh Christian season this year, it's one of his, his best performance and yeah. also one of his healthiest seasons. That's right. Is there anything that you attribute that you guys did differently this off season or what did for preparation? Yeah, I think, I think we do. I mean, obviously, I mean, I'm a very small part christians you know uh, success um but we uh i would have told you going into the year that this was going to be a year i mean just based oh, on his it. based oh, wow. on his performances in in the in the preseason in the off season i mean i think he got healthy uh we dove deep into some compensation stuff and you know some of the foot patterning and kind of got his ankles back where they you know needed to be um and he does a lot of things on his own obviously that, that helped take care of that stuff as well but then i just knew when we sent him off to training camp this year that it was going to be different mm. um you could just tell and the last couple of seasons prior to this, it wasn't that way. You know, you're kind of hoping that it, you know, those things don't flare up or he doesn't get injured again and stuff. And, you know, and then he came into the 49ers organization, which was such a blessing for him and to get her into a, a great system and around a bunch of great players and coaches and stuff. So kind of really happy for him just because he works so hard and does everything the right way that he's now in this in this position. I would imagine you have such a good eye with your experience and then your relationship with them. Are you ever wrong? I mean, do you, when, when, <laughs> like, like, you know, you send them off and you're like, oh, motherfucker, I hope this doesn't. And it's like, are you ever wrong? Or are no, you man, I'm never wrong. Come on. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I think, I think, you know, every off season, right. I spend what from August until February kind of going over, what did we do? What are we going to do different next year? What am I seeing, you know, on the field, things like that. It's all a, it's an, it's an evolution where I don't ever think I get to just raise my hands and go, man, we, we did it. You know, um, it, 
you know, I get, he comes back during the bye week and we do a couple of days of work where we kind of iron a few mm-hmm. things out and, you know, there's some consultation calls that he might not be feeling totally right. Cause this happened or that happened. I mean, that guy gets in 12 car accidents a weekend, You're right, you right. know? And so it's kind of like just keeping yeah. him put together. Uh, but I think, you know, when we send an athlete out after a period of time, whether it's one week or six weeks or, you know, however long the off season is, I, I usually feel pretty good about, you know, where we got them to, yeah, you know, yeah. they all come in at a different place. You know, everybody wants to train a pro athlete, right? We get that a lot. Like, mm-hmm. ah, I want to train college and pro athletes. You know, cool. Okay, 25 years from now when you've put all the work in, then we'll yeah. talk about you training a pro athlete because yeah. there's just so much more that goes into it than what people think from a, you know, a training, like a, a, a program or a workout. Right. There's just a lot of experience needed to um, take those guys and, and kind of put your arm around them and get them from, you know, one of my athletes came in this year, had a horrible ankle and hip injury during the season, missed the last month of the season. We had to work through that for four weeks before we could even train. Yeah. So we had to train just to train, you know, and there's medical treatment and all the things that go into that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's not a it's it's not a one little one answer thing for any of those high level athletes. Right, right, right. Brian, you, you, you just said, you know, 12 accidents in a weekend, obviously referring to, <laughs> you know, the, the football, which yep, is a yep. very, very tough sport. And when you look at different sports, obviously. You can make more money in some versus others. The longevity of the athletes is different depending on the sport. Some mm-hmm. more dangerous than others. Are there some sports because you have kids? I know you have a son. Do you have any more kids? Yeah, I got I got a bunch of them. I got four kids. Oh, good for you. <laughs> so I got two two of my own and two from a blended family situation. Wonderful. And, uh, yeah, they brought my son with me today. Yeah. So so awesome. I got I have four kids too. Nice. Is there any sport that you look at and you go, man? I hope my kid. <laughs> isn't good at this one is good at a different one because I know the risk factors or whatever. Are you, you, do you think that way or is it more like whatever works? No, I think I don't think that way necessarily. I mean, I'm probably glad none of them decided to jump out of airplanes or anything, you know, but <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, sport wise, um, you know, we had, we had a couple that played football. Uh, my son was a basketball player, you know, played in college. Um, my daughter was a soccer player, had a massive knee injury, a couple concussions, you know, all the things that go along with yeah. being a soccer player and, so, but I mean, I guess in my opinion, you know, if you, if you choose to do something, there's inherent risk with all of them, you know? So if you're a football player, you know, you got, you're going to get hit a lot and there's probably a higher propensity for, for injury. Um, if you, I guess nowadays you played pickleball, that might be a little safer, you know, safer way to go. I don't know. Um, so I just think it's part of so it. I mean, to me, injuries are totally part of sport and it's part of what we do of, uh, even from return to play prevention mm-hmm. of injury, working with physical therapists on stuff. I mean, it's just, that's just part of the gig. Um, I feel like he'd be more tortured if all four kids wanted to be pickleball yeah, players. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> well, you know, that would probably be more torturous. Well, you know, this brings up this brings up a great, right. this brings up a great discussion, Brian. There, because Dad, there's I talk. Play pickleball. <laughs> I, yeah. I like flag football. No, here, no, this is this is good because there's a, currently a discussion that seems to be brewing where you see these parent organizations and schools saying. We shouldn't let kids play tackle football. We shouldn't let kids box. Maybe even wrestling is a little dangerous. Don't let the soccer players head the ball anymore because it's, but us who have played and trained people, whatever, the risk is part of why you gain some of the benefit. And that's kind of what life is like. How do you feel about this discussion where they're like, no, no, we shouldn't let kids play tackle football till college. Some people are even saying. You, you probably don't want my opinion on I, I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> what I would think yeah. about that. Um, I mean, I just think that, I mean, I think our world's soft. I'm sorry, yeah. but that's just okay. kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I think that we I'm have at. a lot of, <laughs> yeah, that probably isn't a very popular comment to make on air, but I think, um, I'll back you, up. you know, a level of toughness. Now I think if we can avoid some injury, you know, I don't, I don't hate all the rules that have come into 
football of, you know, protecting quarterbacks and, you know, things like that. Cause I, I think you want people to be safe, but I also think too, that, you know, there's just some inherent risks and things that you take when you're going to go do those things. And, um, you know, you can't protect everybody yeah. from everything in my opinion. So I think if you're going to choose to do those, you just have to know what those risks are and be willing to, you know, you know, what's interesting about that conversation is a, 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 the people who are, who seem to be pushing the hardest have zero experience mm -hmm. in either these sports right. or, you know, the, for example, you don't let a kid tackle till they're big and strong. They get in college, the risk of injury probably going to go through the roof. That's right. Mm -hmm. Because now they don't know how to hit. They don't they know, know how to take a technique, hit and now yeah. they're big and that's actually going to make things worse. But the only way you would know that is if you actually played or trained or worked with athletes. If you're just on the sidelines, you think, oh, they're little. Don't let them do that. But a five-year-old hitting each other with helmets on, right. that's not going to do anything. You got right. you know, you got a 20-year-old, well, now there's yeah. potential for, yeah. for injury. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think, I don't know. And again, we, I, I would never want to talk politics, but like, I just don't think it's for somebody else to say, Yeah, you know, if, if my kid wants to take a risk of playing football, Hey man, there's head injury, knee injury, all yeah. kinds of injury potential. If that's what you want to do, then go do it. But I don't want some organization or some governing body telling him he could or couldn't do it. You know, that, that's kind of, I guess, where my opinion would lie is that's, that's our family's decision. And you know, if we, if we decide we want to do it, then we're going to go do that. Agreed. Any so. top supplements that you like to work with, with athletes that you notice a, a big bang for the buck typically? Creatine. Yeah. Always. Yep. Yeah. Always <laughs> creatine. Yeah. Um, what about nutrients? You ever seen nutrient deficiencies? Like, okay, maybe vitamin D or whatever tends to help. That That's my wife's department to okay. be honest with you. I'm not great that way. I mean, I barely eat vegetables myself. So uh, <laughs> that's okay. Not I, <laughs> they got green juice now. You know, yeah, that's you nice. Know, <laughs> all these fitness gurus out there. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really eat uh, broccoli that much, yeah. but um, yeah, I think creatine. Um, and then, you know, I think my wife would say, so, you know, something along the lines of making sure they're getting a good balanced nutrition. Okay. And if they are deficient in some of those, you know, things, I know magnesium to help sleep and some of the, mm -hmm. you know, there, there's some stacks. I just think for young athletes, like, man, check the box with whole food. The big Holy. rocks. Creatine is like the most researched supplement on the planet that's really good for you. I mean, we got, you know, old women taking it and yeah. you know, yeah. old men and it's, it's helping brain function. Yeah. So I think that's, you know, we were cramming creatine back in the nineties, like yeah. dry scoop and the stuff, yeah. not yeah. even knowing what it was, but I think it's pretty good for you. Um, and so we have all of our athletes, male, female, young, mm -hmm. old taking creatine. I got, a, I got a personal story for Brian on creatine. So I, <laughs> I, as a, as a, just a knucklehead, you know, insecure kid trying to build muscle. I started taking creatine probably in 19, I want to say 95, maybe yeah. 96. Yeah. Never stopped, right? Just always took it. Never stopped since until now. <laughs> now the research is coming out. It's good for you. It's healthy. Yeah. And I learned that I have this uh, this genetic uh, like anomaly or whatever. It's uh, I forgot what it's called, but MTFHR. I don't know. I don't methylate very well. And the recommendation is to take things that help with methylation. One of them being creatine. No way. So I've accidentally been doing something amazing for myself. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> were you were you taking dimatize back in the nineties? Because oh, yeah. yeah. there were about two yeah. two people that were making creatine yeah, yeah. back yeah, in the day. And our gym coach was, you know, yeah. passing it over and we were out in the hallway just dry scooping yeah. the stuff. Phosphor yeah. game. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. We're, we're what about so okay, so I mean you're very much so aligned with us with the old school methods, the big rocks and stuff like that. Sure. But have you found any tools like uh Stuff like uh, eight sleep or cold plunge or red light therapy. Are there any things that you do like or that you have your guys on or that you use personally uh, with recovery and sleep and things like that? Yeah, I 
I like all of those things. Yeah. If if the athlete, I think that's the even more of the psychological mm. benefit is that in that recovery stuff is what do you like? Yeah. You know, I mean, we have a sauna at the house. We have a cold hot plunge uh, at the house. My wife loves that stuff. She's really into it. She's really disciplined. Yeah. I'm the opposite of that. Yeah. Like I, I love all that stuff and I'll do it for two weeks and then not touch it, you know, for mm-hmm. two months, kind yeah. of a guy. Part of it's I'm just really busy. Um, but I think those things like, you know, some of the the athletes that I work with are very consistent with like a daily sauna, a daily cold plunge. And there's, you go back to the, you know, the finished studies of, of, uh, sauna and oh, what yeah, it does longevity. for a hundred percent. Like, I mean, I think, I don't know why you wouldn't do it if you have access to it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, yeah, I, I think, I, I don't know. We don't have any research or data or studies or anything like that of, Hey, these athletes do that stuff. So they're better. Yeah. Um, I just think for, if you can do it, you should. Yeah. 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 How do you, uh, personal question. So you've obviously been, you've been an athlete, you train, <clears throat> work out, you work out with those top athletes. Uh, how do you train yourself now? Obviously you're, you're not trying to play, um, at super high levels or maybe yeah. you are, I don't know. Like what, no, what is your training no. looks like for you? No, there's no doubt. I'm not doing that anymore. Um, <laughs> no handball. <I>, <laughs> no, no, not even pickleball. <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, for probably until about four years ago, I was pretty fit in regards to, I was very steady in the weight room. Uh, you know, I watched my diet. I did some food prep stuff. You know, I stayed fairly strong. I would say is my definition of what I try to be now is just strong. I feel mm-hmm. like if you're strong, that gives you some, you know, longevity, hundred percent. but four years ago, I had an, another ankle injury that had been giving me fists for years and years and years. And I had to have a massive surgery, which turned into a ankle replacement, um, which has now caused knee issues. And so I'm, I'm just, I'm kind of broken right now. And so that's been really tough to maintain a level of fitness and stuff. And I mean, I'm still on the floor coaching athletes and I can still move and do things that way. Um, but I just don't probably take, I'm a, I'm a classic do as I say, you know, I was just going to ask do. you that. That's like every good trainer. Coaches we train the our, worst, our clients yeah. better than, the, than we train ourselves. A hundred percent. I mean, I've, you know, I'll get up at four in the morning and write workouts and spend two and a half hours writing a workout for the pro soccer that that's, that's elite, perfect, got everything. Oh, don't, don't forget to take your supplements. Don't forget this, that, and the yeah. other. And I'm reminding them of everything. Meanwhile, I got four hours of sleep, you know, I had a cup of coffee and then had Chick-fil-A for lunch. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's not, and that's just kind of the reality, a little bit of life for me. And, you know, I take good enough care of myself, I think. Uh, and I also have like kind of the longevity of, you know, after a 12 year career in decathlon and then, you know, staying fit and working out my whole life until about that, you know, 46 or seventh birthday that I had, and then had some, you know, injuries take place. That's helped at least sustain me to still be fairly strong, fairly, you know, um, I wouldn't call myself fit by any stretch. Have you seen the data on, uh, what, what, like how much training and volume and stuff it takes to get somewhere and then how much it required just to keep it. Right. It's crazy. It's like so little just to maintain. It is. How hard is this with the, your wife does nutrition. Uh So you wake up, have coffee, Trick-fil-A. How hard is that? Is she like, or she just know, like, (laughs) you guys been married long enough. We've been married a while and she's a very forgiving soul. Um, no, she's great. We, I mean, she's, she is the definition of discipline, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. she gets up every morning. She walks the dog or runs. She comes back. She goes down to the basement, does her workout, does her, you know, she just is a, she's an atomic habits person. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm atomic habits on the things that I have to get done with our business and where we're headed and making sure all the athletes are taken care of. I've just kind of prioritized myself last probably for the, you know, last, you know, five, seven years or so. And that's okay with me. And like you said, you know, I can jump in the weight room for a couple of weeks and kind of get everything back. We're going to the Bahamas, then I can kind of get into shape, you know, for a month. Um, mm. I kind of have that luxury that I'm not, you know, my metabolism is pretty good. I got good genetics. 
Uh, but yeah, I'd like to take care of myself better than I have. We're, we're headed there. I'm headed over to Germany to get some treatments and then we'll, we'll see how it goes from there. That'd be exciting to hear that. Yeah. Perfect. What is that? What's the business look like for you? Are you, I mean, are you living the the dream right now as far as the perfect balance of work life and kids, family, or are you trying to do something different with it? I mean, what's that look like for you right now? Yeah, there's zero balance whatsoever right now, I'd say. (laughs) Um, um, all my kids are out of the house now, so we're, we're empty nesters. Um, and business has been really good. Uh, you know, our, our big buckets of our our headquarter corporate training centers, we have three of them. They're thriving, doing well. Um, and then we have our Speedtown Express model, which is inside of a 24-hour fitness. We have nine of those locations. Did you partner with them? Oh, nice. We have. Yeah. I did not know that. So yeah. we, we were, we were, that's where we started, all of us. Yeah, no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No 20, way. Plus, 20 plus years ago. Mark Masteroff is a friend them. of ours. So we just opened our first four in Colorado back in November, and we just launched five in the Dallas-Fort Worth area uh, in December. Excellent. So we got so it's like, like in the facility. Yeah. Specific. So the old kids clubs, right? Yeah. COVID yeah. closed down no the kids shit. clubs. We took those spaces and turned them into kind of like what I'd call a speed lab. How smart. Yeah. So it's just, you know, it's not a lot of weightlifting stuff, but what's funny, you know, what is in there is a deadlift machine. <laughs> so wow. we have, we do all of our speed stuff on the treadmill and the turf and, and, you know, now who can go in there and use that? They have to work anybody. with a trainer or, or anybody. anybody can go in there. They have to go in and be with one of our trainers, Got it. but they don't have to be a 24 hour fitness member. Um, hmm. and we have four of those in Colorado, five in the DFW area. Um, and those just launched. So we're getting those off the ground right now. Who'd you get connected with? That's who do you really know cool. over there? Well, a girl that I coached 25 years ago, uh, Lori Pitts, she was a heptathlete and I worked with her and she, she ran for my dad actually, uh, at his high school. And then I coached her as a club athlete. And uh, she's now a district manager, so she introduced me to all the right wow. people. And yeah, before you knew it, we were building. And, and the plan is to go build about sixty to eighty of these. Brian, things. I think this is a great idea. I don't know if yeah. you, I'm sure you're familiar with this. The with what's happening, the trends in the in the big box gyms. Yeah, it used to be when we were running gyms, late '90s, early 2000s. They spent so much time and money on cardio, very little space and time on free weights and resistance training. Nothing for anything related to athleticism. That's right. The footprints are totally changing. Yep. They're putting way more value now on the strength training because now people are finally starting to realize like this is the best way to train if I want to be fit and healthy. We talk about this all the time. And then athletic training, functional used to mean stand on one foot, you know, balance the medicine ball, yeah. do some weird stuff. But they're starting to figure it out and it's starting to go mainstream. So I think this is a phenomenal idea. I yeah. can't wait to hear how this goes out. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it, it was, it's like a, it's a big old Hail Mary, I feel like, because it's, it's a little bit outside of my comfort zone of just the scaling, you know, yeah. of, of, you know, we went from one facility in 2020. We opened right at the end of COVID as we were coming out of the pandemic. And now we'll have 14 facilities um, operating right now. And so it just kind of blew up. I think it's a great concept. The product's amazing. Mm-hmm. We got nine of them built out, we got them all staffed, and now we're kind of rolling. I'd love to see. to see what they I'm, look like. I'm, I know. Can I ask, yeah. can you share a little bit behind like how the, how the revenue split or can you tell me a little bit of like how that works? I'm super curious. Yeah. On how you yeah. Work. No, we, we get a deal with them where we just have basically a, a lease inside the 24 hour fitness. So okay. we're paying them a lease. Um, so it's like you run your own business inside. That's the, right. That's okay. exactly okay. right. So NutriShop does so some of that inside of 24 hour fitness. They have a couple of locations. I'm trying to think of some other businesses they've partnered with. We could end up being their biggest partner um, because we have access to everyone that's available, which is over a hundred. Um, now for us, that's a, you know, there's a business model along with that, you know, to be mm-hmm. kind of capital, you know, uh, 
positive um, to build those out, but we'll see. There's a bunch here in Northern California that we're vetting right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you can this- ask us. We know NorCal 24 hours. Yeah, 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 like yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll I'll, be, I'll be reaching out, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, that's uh, Ben Randall's territory, yeah. too, so yeah. we'll be talking to him. He's yeah. RVP of this all. This yeah, whole I grand opened awesome. a couple yeah, yeah. of clubs that's up awesome. here back in the day. Are you, so, are, so then the normal general manager or sales staff, they don't sell your programs. It's your own staff in there that does it. That's right. That's okay. right. Wow. Now there, I mean, we have, obviously they have, they have vested interest in seeing us do well, of you course. know, and so we have kind of the, the model is kind of split where we do the speed town express, which is all the speed training for youth athletes. Then we put inside of there kind of an assisted stretch model called speed stretch, a lot like stretch lab and stretch zone and oh, some of these places because okay. it's dead during the day. And so all those people that are coming in and out working out, you know, instead of driving to go get an assisted stretch, we'll do it inside of there. Uh, so we have created our own, our own system of assisted stretching. We have smart. a system. We have all our credentials and stuff, and then they'll come in and do that. So, okay. so since 2020, uh, uh, positive cash flow is it profiting already? It has been, yeah. Wow, yeah, that's, yeah. That's we've great. had a, we've had a great run. Um, our next our next big move is our KSP Global Digital Coaching Platform, where we can get outside of our four walls, um, where we can get you know national, international of taking our master trainers through our platform, which is our exercise.com app, and spitting out workouts to you know soccer clubs in Spain and. Wow. Uh, you know, universities in Canada, some of these people that we're oh, looking exciting. With. So yeah. yeah, it's fun. It's exciting. That's very so, exciting. You know, getting into Scaling. all that because you asked about the business. I mean, there is no balance right now, but there's no <laughs> balance because it's been, we've been blessed. I mean, absolutely uh, have some great opportunities out in front of us. I got an awesome team. Our team's grown. You know, I started this company by myself in basically 2020, me and two NFL football players. And now we have 60 employees and 14 facilities. And um, it's just been like a, a whirlwind. And so, so there's cool. a lot that goes on and changes, you know, being an entrepreneur is, is I'm sure as you guys all know here, um, not the easiest thing, mm-hmm. but I do feel like I'm in the sweet spot of life. You know, I kind of get to call my own shots and, um, it's awesome. I love it. How cool. Wow, dude. That's really dude. cool. Well, Brian, this has been amazing, man. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate you coming on the show. Dude, it's I think so, a lot. so good. I, I mean, I, I always learn stuff when I talk to really, really good trainers. And so I learned a few things from, from talking to you awesome. and, uh, exciting to hear you, you, kind of reaching out to the mainstream with these facilities. Yeah. Can't wait to hear about that. And yeah. you know, if you want, you know, any help yeah. with the ones up here, yeah, we know people. So sure. if you already aren't definitely use you as a resource. I appreciate that yeah. a ton. Thank you so much. It's been great. Thank you. It. Thank you for listening to mind pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy and maximize your overall performance. Check out our discounted RGB super bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump.